Welcome to the Engage Church Duluth podcast, where together we are learning to love God and people better. You'll find links, notes, and insights that go along with this episode at the link in our podcast description and on our website at engagechurchduluth.com. We're so glad you're joining us today. See you guys here this morning. I'm Pastor Josh. This is Engage Church. Um, if you wanted the restaurant, it's actually upstairs over to your left there, and they love you up there too. So it's just great to have you guys here, right? Um, we're going to dive right in. Yeah, I'm excited that it's Group Sunday. Um, I am looking forward to getting in God's Word and talking about this subject just a little bit uh, more. And the reason that I guess I Really appreciate Andy and Levi as they coordinate our grow groups and kind of our connection here at the church is because that's really uh, what we're called to do. And even furthermore, Jesus says that that's how the world will know that we're his. And so it's just a, a great opportunity to, I see a lot of eyes. What's going on up here? Something's happening. Oh, curtains are shutting. Yeah. I could just see like a lot of eyes going that way. I'm like, something is either falling on me or whatever. But no, but this is how Jesus said, you know, when we connect, when we learn to love one another, when we learn to neighbor each other, Jesus said that the world, without us even like speaking anything, the world will see that we are his. It says something to the world. It's different. And I'm really excited to look at this today and kind of go down that road of how we neighbor one another. We, we've talked about uh, the last few weeks, we've been talking about how we neighbor. You know, a lot of us, well, there's a, a gentleman in the Bible that was, uh, I guess, a scholar or whatever you want to say, knew the law. And he actually asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And you think that Jesus would say, you know, maybe a name, like Bill, Sally, Sue, like whatever, your, your closest people around you. But he kind of tells them, you have that wrong. It's not about who your neighbor is, it's, it's how you neighbor. And he starts to tell a story of a man that was beaten up in the ditch and this other gentleman went over and didn't know who he was, bandaged him up, took time with him and, and just loved him where he was at. And if you're new here today, if you're new to church, if you're not even sure why, maybe you came in just to get warm this morning, I just want you to hear one truth and understand this. No matter what kind of sin you're dealing with right now, no matter what kind of emotion you're dealing with right now, God loves you right where you're at. What you have to understand is when you look into God's word, you'll start to realize that God loves you the same in your darkest hour as he does in your brightest hour. Because God's never changing like that. His love is unconditional. And it's not about what you do, it's about what he did. And so he loves you right where you're at today. He doesn't want to leave you where you're at. And that's just been kind of bringing a thought on myself here to, uh, this, this year, I guess, is that I honestly believe that God wants to change your world. I believe that God wants to change your world. Not just like he wants you to feel good after the sermon, I don't even think that that's God's objective here today. I think he literally wants to change who you are. I think that he wants to bring about something new. I think that he wants to see, see you see a new truth. I think that he wants to see you live in joy, out of shame, victory over anger. Because this is a lifestyle that is compelling to the world around us. He wants to change your world. This is the creator of the universe this is the, the creator that spoke a word and said, let there be light. And that word is still expanding. Our galaxies are continuing to expand. 
I, I mean, this is a powerful, powerful God. And we have to start to see that. God wants to change your world in 2019 and the years to come. He wants to do something special with you individually. And it'll affect us corporately. Amen? All right. That was supposed to be the good part of the sermon. And I only got like two amens here. So I'm just kidding. We're good, man. How cold is it outside? I mean, seriously, like, it kind of makes you a little angry when you walk outside for a second. You're just like, you know, it's like, let's get back up above zero here. But uh, we'll get there. Um, I want to kind of paint a picture. So as we answer, as we start to kind of answer this question this week of how do we neighbor each other, right? How do we, how do we love each other as a local church? Uh, the, the great thing is, is that I don't have to stand up here and give a lot of my opinion. I love that because it is right here mapped out for us in God's word. We actually, it's, it's actually simpler than we probably would think it is. It's not always easy. But it's a lot more simple than we think. And I want to kind of paint this picture of what was going on before we read too much uh, farther into this right now. But what happens is Peter was uh, a follower of Jesus. Peter was a fisherman. And fishermen at this point in time were like the people that the society just kind of were like, you can't do anything else, so just go be a fisherman. I mean, I think it would be great to be a fisherman. I know a few of you in here who love to do it, but that's kind of how it was looked at. And Jesus walks up to this uneducated, kind of uh, non-influential type of figure in the city, and he says, you know, follow me. And Peter starts to follow him. And Peter saw Jesus do amazing things, amazing things, like turning water into wine and, um, you know, uh, healing blind people and, and, and people with leprosy and, and just speaking words of truth to people, right? Having meals with this guy. I mean, he spent time with Jesus and still... With all of that, Peter, when Jesus was crucified, when he was killed, he was beaten for our sins. He was literally beaten beyond recognition, put on a cross that was meant for torture and criminals. And he was this perfect human being. Peter actually denies him three times. I don't know this man. I don't know this man. I don't know this man. To save his own behind. I can say behind in church, right? Everybody's nodding back there. Yes. Okay, good. We'll censor it on here. Um, but so he does that. He denies him three times, right, to save his own skin. But then something special happens. See, a lot of times we come through the doors of a church, and, and by the way, the church isn't a building. It's the people that were gathered here. But we kind of come through the church, and we, we act as if we're going to a funeral. We act as if we are going to a funeral. But as a believer... We know that Jesus conquered death. He rose again. And so Peter, he could have done what Judas did, the other disciple that kissed Jesus on the cheek, that betrayed him, that did the same thing Peter did, denying Jesus, right? Just in a different way. We always give Judas this hard time. But Peter did the same thing. He denied him. He sinned against Jesus. We, we, we walk through like we're going to a funeral, and Judas ends up, he doesn't wait for Jesus to rise again and be alive in his life. He takes his own life before that happens. I can only imagine that those three days for Peter were trying as well. He knows that he betrayed his friend, somebody that he believed was the savior of the world. He's questioning all kinds of things. But then Jesus doesn't stay in the grave. He rises again. He meets Peter, and he restores Peter. This is Jesus 
This is who we all have an opportunity to know and know intimately. This is the answer to every question you will ever have, Jesus. And, and Peter's restored, and it changes him. He's like, man, I'm no longer like in fear. I realize that Jesus is who he says he was. Oh my goodness, I realize I'm forgiven. I'm restored, and even though I had that guilt and that shame, he's taken that away from me, and now I'm just bolder. I'm more confident. And so Jesus had risen Again, Peter has a moment with him, and now he's ascended into heaven. And Peter starts talking to this crowd, and he talks with boldness, unapologetic, no political correctness here. He doesn't care. He just starts talking with boldness about this Jesus that we crucified. That, that, that it, was, it was, you know, the, the, these people started to come around and listen to Peter and they were so excited that onlookers were like, are these people drunk? Because they're just too happy right now. And Peter says, no, we're not drunk, it's nine in the morning. My comment would have been, you haven't been in northern Minnesota, people go all day long kind of thing, but that's, well, we won't go there. But Peter's just on fire. He's bold and he's talking to this crowd and, and he's compelling them with who Jesus was. And he starts to tell these people, he says, people, you should listen to the testimonies of these believers. The ones who know Jesus is who he said he was. That know that he's the Messiah, which means savior of the world. You need to, you need to listen to him because the Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled through him. This is something to take heed to. You can't just hear this and kind of sidestep it and be like, ah, whatever, it's not that big a deal. You, you need to listen to this. You need to listen to it because Jesus was the Messiah. He is the Savior. You need to listen to it because Christ wants to change your lives. And this is the conversation that Peter was having with this giant crowd. And by the droves, people would just came and gathered around him. He didn't have a mic. He didn't have, you know, music to start off with. He didn't have, like, you know, a time of giving or anything that came later. But he just had his voice, his testimony, and the truth about who Jesus was and the reality of the grace that Jesus was about. And he started to speak that boldly. And people lined up. Hear me for a minute. People lined up. Can you picture that? Just speaking about Jesus, just speaking the truth, the grace and the truth about Jesus, people would line up. And they lined up because Peter told them about Jesus wanting to change their life, change their world from the inside out. And they're thinking, I want my world to change. I want my life to change. And I just wonder here today, no matter where you're at on what you believe of who Jesus is or isn't, you don't need to raise your hand, but would you want some life change happening? I think that we all would say yes. Some of us, it would be on behavioral things. Some of us, we just, we want to be healed from anger. We want some change in that way. We want some change from depression. We want some, some change from like constantly, you know, being cynical of people. We want to, we just want some change in that behavioral way. But some of us, it's more, it's even deeper than that, like kind of surface behavioral that we can make choices to change. And, and we want to just be, we want to be uh, healed and we want change in our finances even. Like we just, we 
just don't get it. We, we, we're, we're, we're struggling and like we see these people that are doing things right and we just can't get there. And I totally get that. That's a real spot. And some of us, we just, we want better understanding. We want change in our relationships. We just don't know how to change it. We don't know. We don't know why we keep compelling or like pushing people away, repelling people. We want to receive them, but we're not sure what happens. We need change. We need change like this shame that overtakes us from something that we don't even understand. We just need change because that shame is keeping us down. It isolates us. It starts to put us in a, in a room by ourselves and we're pushing people away when we should be embracing the people around us. I think all of us could line up to hear about this life change. We want that. And these people certainly did. They wanted to hear how they could be free of guilt. And so it compelled them to do something. And here Peter is, he's talking about this. In Acts 2.37, we see how some of these people respond. It says this, When the people heard this, everything that Peter was saying, they were cut to the heart. That means like they listened up. They were ready to hear. And they said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Okay, so like we've heard this. We, we hear you. We're ready for something. But what do we do with it? What do we do with it? What do we do that we know that Jesus has forgiven us? We, we know that that's available to us. We know that he was real. We know that he was a healer. We know that he's a provider. We know that he conquered death. We believe that. What shall we do now? What do we do with that? They're ready to move. What a posture to be in to ask that question. What should we do now? Not keep convincing me. Tell me one more time about this Jesus thing. Keep, keep convincing me. Keep, keep selling me Jesus. They just said, what do we do with it? What do we do? We know it's not based on our feelings. We, we see the grace. We see the truth. What do we do with this news? God wants to change your world. And when we hear about Jesus, that is that seed that it just starts. Because you ask that question, what do I do with this now? And unfortunately in the past, the church has, has answered that in a, in a horrible way, just to be honest with you. Cut your hair this way, stop watching this movie, listen to this music, just quit talking this way, quit hanging out with this, those desires that you have, they got to go aside, that anger that you deal with, that guilt that you deal with, that shame that you deal with, figure that out and then you'll be good enough. That's not where Peter went with this. It's not what Jesus ever wanted for us. Broken and messy people, he wanted to help change their world. And you don't get there when your forearm shimmied right by that question. I mean, what if Peter would have answered this question and he says, you gotta do this, 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 eat this way, you can't eat that, you gotta do this, and all of a sudden like rolled out a scroll of rules think that would have been compelling to follow? I probably would have been the first one to be like, peace out, I can't even remember like three of those things. Something more was there and these people knew it. And it continues on. They understood that baby steps were powerful and they just wanted to know, now that we know this, what do we do? Tell us and we'll start walking that way. We go on to Acts uh, 2.38 
It continues on. It says, Peter replied, here it is, repent and be baptized, every one of you, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for what? The forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That means when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, he's the boss of our life, he is who he says he was, and we believe in our hearts that through God's power he was raised three days later, scripture tells us that we are saved. That something changes. We get this gift of, of this, this spirit that lives inside of us and it guides us. And it's hard to understand at first. It convicts us and it, it shows us where we need to repent. And what repenting means is really just turning the opposite way. It means like, here's a sin in my life. I recognize that it's a sin. And I need to just confess that sin, understand I'm forgiven, and turn completely the opposite way and never look on it again. See what, you know, a lot of this message I understand is for, is for the believer here today. I, I do understand that and I recognize that. But I think if you're here questioning, you see that this isn't just a small decision. This isn't just something where um, you can really afford to even just take another day. You have to consider this at least. I love that about Jesus, is, is we just have to make a decision. It's like now we know, what do we do with that? What shall we do? just like these people. See, one of the things that breaks my heart in the local church is that I see a lot of people that are sorry for their sin. This is where Pastor Josh comes out and, and just kind of talks real with you for a second. I don't say that in a shameful way. None of us should feel ashamed because Scripture also says that not one of us is without sin. So if you think you are today, I just brought you back down to size. Well, you're not. We are all messy people. In fact, one of the things that we say around here, you can even buy a t-shirt with it. It says, join the mess, because we are just messy people. We don't put messy church on a billboard because it just looks weird. I don't know who would come to that. All different kinds of things come to your mind. But the reality of it is, we are. We are. Scripture also says, be careful if you think you stand, for you should fall. Like, if you're haughty enough to think that you're without sin, you're just, you're lying to yourself. Nobody else around you, because believe me, the people that are closer to you understand that you're not perfect. And I think the most dangerous lie that we get, or one of the most dangerous lies that we get as believers, is that we're just, we're just kind of sorry for our sin. We're sorry because we got caught with our hand in the cookie jar. We're sorry because we feel a little bit guilty you know, and a little bit shameful. But we're not repenting today as the church. Because if we were, we would see a lot more victory than what we see today, amen? Repenting changes you. You see something, you recognize it in your life, you tear it away, and you look on it no more. When you're just sorry about something, you're like, oops, got caught, and it just sticks around, and you take another step, and it sticks with you. I understand that this isn't easy. Guess what? If you want an easy answer, there's not always an easy answer. But if you want to be free and live a victorious life, you have to repent of your sin. That's not me, my opinion, or any denomination that gets to choose that. This is the living word of God. God-inspired word says that we need to repent. 
And it's not repent to make us feel guilty. It's not repent to, to, to hold us down and feel changed. That conviction in you is not meant to be shamed. It's meant to turn you away from that. So, so receive that conviction in a positive way. It's not meant to keep you in shame. It's meant to, for you to turn away. But, but it's meant that we could have a free life. It's there for our protection. It's there to bring us to a spot that we never thought was possible. Imagine a local church of people that would just do this step and truly repent of their sins. When they, when they surface, you repent. What would that look like? What would the world see? I promise you they wouldn't see prideful people. They wouldn't see people pointing their finger at everybody else and being like, you know what they need to change? You know what they need to change? It'd be people that look at themselves and say, I need to bring this to the table because I want to see this group better because of I'm getting better. I think the world can, definitely our culture can learn something from that truth and that principle. It's not enough to be sorry for your sins. Hear me today on that. It is not enough to be sorry for your sins. It doesn't say feel a little bit bad for a little while, go about your day, and hopefully you go three or four days without it. It says repent, peel it off, put it away, out of sight, out of mind, never look on it again. It's not enough to be sorry for your sin. You must let God forgive us. We must let God forgive us of our sins. We have to let God do that. When we're convicted, we believe that he's risen again. Like, this, like I said, this is a big God. This is a God that spoke a word and everything changed. He knew us in our, womb, every, in our mother's womb, every hair on our head. He created, I don't even know how many species of moths and like things like that are just in Minnesota alone, like 800 or something like that. I just see like the same one every time I look at them, but they're all different. This is a God that did that. Understand that your sin is not occurring to him like, hmm, now that you confess that, I do see that about you. He knows this about you. He knows you intimately, and he wants you to know him. And guess what? He still shows up the same and says, I still have grace for you. I still have love for you. So I say, you've tried everything else, and you still have guilt. You still have undefeated in your life, like you're defeated. You still have those relational troubles. Why not repent and trust what God has for you and come into victory? That's the answer. That's what these people are starting to see. So it's not enough to just be sorry for our sins. We must let God forgive our sins, and then here it is. And then we need to live like forgiven people. We gotta do this, guys. Not just for ourselves, for the world. I, I could do statistics, and I'm, I, wasn't, I don't want to do that because it, it lines up like a little bit of shame. But unfortunately, some of those statistics, the, the church, the, the group of people that believe this truth are dealing with the same issues that the world is. And, and I'm not saying that that's bad if you're there. But when are we going to start to live in victory? If you look at Galatians, if you look at uh, Corinthians, Christ died for us that we would be free from that. That in any circumstance, we can have joy in our life. I talked with a gentleman this morning, and, and this still just blows my mind, but his, he's a new believer of like a few months, okay? 
And his brother, all of a sudden, was having headaches one day. He gets a, a brain tumor. This is like just craziness. He's just having headaches one day. He goes in thinking he's dehydrated. They're like, tomorrow you have to have surgery. What? Young guy, totally healthy, just got married, all this, right? So this new believer is devastated by that. He goes to this church. He's devastated by that. I am so encouraged to see this guy walk through this with his brother. He's calling me as he's picking family up at the airport to go support his brother going into brain surgery. And he's like, can you just pray with us? And, and he's like bringing Jesus into his family. He's living in victory no matter the circumstance. His brother goes through it. He gets um, kind of partially blind in one eye. And he's just giving the glory to God. And even as a pastor, I'm kind of like, dude, you're crazy. Like, what is, why are you, like, really? But this is real to him. And his brother, he calls me this morning as I'm setting up chairs here with everybody else. And he says, man, my brother has some molecular stuff going on with the cells in his brain. And it's actually really serious. But we've been reading through scripture. His brother and him have been reading through scripture. And we're just, he's staying as positive as he possibly can. This is a man that doesn't know what tomorrow is going to bring for him, literally. And this new believer just is like living out this victorious life. I wonder if he didn't live in that truth, where his brother might be in his mindset right now. Where he might be. The world needs to see that from us as believers. We have to start living free. We have to start living victorious. And when we say, what should we do with that? Well, we know that we're forgiven and that we're met with grace and truth and that God embraces everybody right where they're at. Then we should be running to repent. That's the recipe. Some of us have been listening too long to the false truth that you're not worthy, you're not good enough, you'll never get over this sin. You'll never break this addiction. You'll never rebuild this relationship. That is a lie from the pit of hell, from the enemy, Satan. The truth is, is we can be free from our sin. Not because of anything that we do, but because of what Jesus did on that cross. Scripture says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We're free. We don't have to fear death. We have no shame in life. That is what the life is with Jesus Christ. We have to know this truth and it has to come out of us. That's what the Spirit brings. I'm not just a better version of the old Josh Levac. I am a new creation in Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that he has through me. And I want to live that way. It's freeing. And then be baptized. You know, we, we repent, and, and I'm not going to talk much on this, but, but the baptism is like, you, you're so compelled by this, this change in your life. You're so compelled by this forgiveness. And one of the best ways to show others your testimony is to just this symbolic uh, illustration of what God's done for you. It's, it's, you know, you have water, and here you are, this, this sinful old person, and, and you you get dipped under the water, you're cleansed, and you come to new life. Now, we don't believe that that is necessary for salvation. And we can talk about that if you have questions for, about that. But this is such a huge part of your growth in your spiritual journey. 
because it's boldly telling the world the stance that you just made. It's, it's boldly showing yourself that, you know what, I believe in this repentance and I want to live in that freedom. Baby steps are powerful. And so these people, like, this truth, I mean, it is just amazing. They, <laughs> they have all these people that are lining up in droves to come around and hear Peter talk about this, about repenting and being baptized. What a, what a weird thing if you've never heard about that. I just kind of was thinking about that. But yet they were compelled, they were changed because of, of what that message of forgiveness and what Jesus and who Jesus was in their life. And scripture says that about 3,000 people were baptized and saved that day. Oh my goodness. Usually when they actually did the counting back then, they would only count men as well. So you got to imagine that number is probably greater. I know ladies and children, I'm sorry, but that's just the way they did it. Amazing. And here's the news. This church, this early church that started 2,000 years ago, roughly, it's still, that model is still relevant today. And to be honest with you, that's what makes me trust it even more. Is that that model is relevant today. Repent, turn from your sins, be baptized. It is still relevant today. It's still changing people today. It's still changing the course of history. It's changing the destiny of families. There's some of you in here that we can tell that story. If you were on the same track that you were two years ago, your family could be in a very different spot. If you were on the same course as you were a month ago, your family could be in a very different spot. You individually, right? I mean, we could just go around the room right now. We won't do that. That'll be later part of the show. Kind of, I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, we're not going to do that. But I just want to read you Acts. Um, 2, 42 through 46, and we'll keep moving along here. They devoted, this is the people, so, so they're, all, they're all around these 3,000 people, and it's like they're still asking the questions like, what should we do? Like, how should we live now? Because it's not like we believe, we repented, we were baptized, and then now we're dead, and we're just like with Jesus kind of thing. It's like, how do we live? What do we do with this? And, and they're still asking those questions, right? It's like, how do we live? How do we love each other? What should this look like? How can we compel others because the world needs to know this truth? So they all had this board meeting. They, they um, you know, like voted for people to be on there. And then they like, did. Uh, it, I'm kidding. That's not what happened at all here. We're going to read. They got together. In verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves. Devoted, that means all of them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So they were hearing truth and grace. They devoted themselves to that. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. Spending time together and just being in prayer. Prayer not only changes, uh, it's, it's, it's us aligning our hearts with God's heart. That's what prayer is. When we spend time doing that, it changes us. And actually, there's even studies done by uh, a chemical scientist that I talked about a while back that I forget her name. But she said that if you spend uh, 10 minutes in prayer every day for 21 days, your brain chemistry actually changes for the positive. I think we were designed to pray. Like literally your brain changes its chemistry, its structure. Something to think about. Prayer is important. It changes you. It aligns us with, with who God is and what he has for our life. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs in the, and perform, uh, performed by the apostles. 
I mean, when's the last time you were in awe for Jesus? Honestly, I mean, in awe. They stood in awe like, oh, wow, this is happening right now. Repenting, baptizing, spending time together, devoting themselves to teaching, praying, and they were in awe. This is a big God. It's a big God. All the believers were together and had everything in common. I'll tell you what, I want to have my heart in common with you, my mind in common with you. We will never share a football team that we cheer for. I am a Lions fan through and through. It's not going to happen. That's the only place that we're going to have a wedge. But it says that they shared everything in common. They sold their property, possessions, and gave to anyone who had need. Boy, the world could use a little bit of that right now, couldn't it? that kind of heart, that kind of generosity. Every day they, in, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That is just such a different picture than, than what we see. That's, that's, a, that's a freedom. And I'm not saying that they didn't have issues and they didn't have conflicts. Of course they did. They're human beings. But they had brotherly love towards one another. They, they were interested in one another. They had to grow together. They, they had to devote themselves to the teaching. They, they, had, they had to be together. And if they were sharing everything, common heart, common mind, I bet they spent lots of time together, which is like daily at the temple, which is just a totally different structure than, than what we would do these days. I understand that. But just fellowshipping with one another, not Nitpicking, Galatians tells us that if we bite and gnaw each other, that we'll destroy each other. So it's not about saying like, hey, by the way, I saw you walk into that one restaurant that I saw like kind of a weird picture on. You shouldn't have done that. You know, nitpicking. Or uh, I heard you like on Facebook, you kind of posted that you like this song. You're a Christian now. And like that's 80s hairband stuff. You shouldn't be doing that. That's not what they did. They gave the same grace and truth that God has given us. And they learned together. They prayed together the important things. And they built relationship together out of love and trust. So much that they were like selling things off and like making sure everybody had something. That's pretty cool. They didn't just talk about this. They didn't just, they didn't just go through emotion. They were engaged with one another's life. They were engaged. This was a lifestyle. So how do we get there? The same way, the same way we hear on Sunday mornings, this is a time that, that we prepare this Sunday morning with a newcomer in mind. We want this to be comfortable as much as it can be because conviction and stuff like that is and it it's makes you twitch and gets you scared, even for the believer. But we want to make this somewhere that's comfortable so we have another opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. But we all need to hear truth like we have today. We all need to hear where does this start? What does this look like in our life? But if we only hear and we don't put into action, it'll equal nothing. There won't be any change. And God wants to change your world from the inside out. So what do we do? What shall we do? We hear and then we commit to growth. Growth happens in a lot of different ways. I'll tell you that over the years, again, I'm not, I'm not coming down on anybody here. I'm coming down on the kind of the culture that we've created in the local church. But, but a lot of um, where people have gotten, the, this early church, it, you know, their zeal for worship and loving each other, it was like contagious, like to where 3,000 people came around and lives happened to be changed. 
where we've gotten over the last X amount of years in the local church is that we kind of have this idea that the pastor and the leadership, they kind of set up, you know, programs for people and they create these environments and, and, and that's, that's all okay. That needs to be happening. But the power is in the people. I know that sounds kind of like political, but it's true. It's like the power is in the people. That's why the, the church is the people. it's you guys. If I just came to this city and had a dream of opening a church and and just spoke to my wife every week and we never tried to live this out, I mean, it'd be a very, like, not going anywhere kind of thing. It's when you guys engage and you engage with one another's lives where there's really impact in this city. That's where it comes from. That's where change happens. So hear me, it was never intended to be Peter running the show. If you notice, it says that they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. So yes, there was, te- there was people that were uh, you know, able to teach, but it wasn't any one person. It wasn't wrapped around one guy, one family, or one leadership group. They just said, hey, this is your spot here. You teach us, and we're going to devote ourselves to that, and we're going to learn, we're going to start to share in common. It was never intended to do that. And so the question for you, the challenge for you, and this is a challenge, okay, is what are you doing, you, to make your local church the kind of place that will attract people to Christ? Because I want to read you one more verse together here. It's verse 47. It kind of continues on after that sincere heart's says, this is what was happening as a result of their brotherly love, of them engaging, of them repenting. This is what it looked like to be a part of the church. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So now they were in awe and they were living in favor. It wasn't like this oppression thing. It was like they were living in the favor of all the people. God was blessing them. They were living in victory And the Lord, here it is, added to their number daily those who were being saved. That kind of church, that kind of local body, that kind of group of people, it impacts people around us. It impacts, it changes cities. It changes countries and nations. Don't believe anything else. It impacts Everything. It starts with repenting and being willing to do that ourselves and then we we stop looking inwardly and we start looking outwardly and we start caring about the people around us. The church should be a place that attracts people to Jesus, period. That is what a healthy local church looks like. And that's why I ask the question to you, because the church is not a building, it's not a pastor, it's not a leadership group, it's all of us. The church is a group of believers that share common heart, common mind. And the question is, what are you doing to help your local church be healthy enough that it's bringing people to Christ? Now some of us would feel like, well that means I gotta come in here and I gotta set up chairs, nope. That's not at all what I mean. In fact, I mean, we would love that. Man, would we love that. But that's not what we're talking about. It could be. 
well, I got to drive the trailer or I got to, you know, do something like that. Nope, I got to go up there and help in the kids' factory. Yeah, I mean, that'd be great. That's one area that you can help. But the best service you can do for the person sitting next to you, the best service you can do for this local church, the best service you could do for me as a fellow brother in Christ is to be committed to repent. It's to be committed to live and trust and live in that victory. And that's heavy. It's not easy. It's something to consider. It's not just a local church or a denomination. This is God calling us to that. This is a life that he wanted for his people, his children, the ones who believed, is a life of victory and freedom. And today's the day. We gotta start somewhere. We know this message, it has to change us. It has to. It'll change the way you wear your wedding ring. It'll change the way that you talk to your kids, the way that you treat people around you. It will change you. It has to. It's too big of a thing not to. And so what I'm asking you guys to do is I want you to commit to this. And there's, there's three reasons why I want you to commit to your local church. I want you to commit to engaging in it. Now, I know that this is Group Sunday, and I think it's a great day to be talking about that. But if we're going to get to know each other, it is very difficult, especially because we're a mobile church right now. You know, we have, to, we have to set up, we have to tear down, we have to do all those things. You guys understand that, right? And so on Sundays, it's really hard. We're all, you know, we're all doing our things. We're going to meet our family. We're doing that. It's very hard to get to know each other. And if anything else, that is what our grow groups and our connect groups are for. They're not to put pressure on you. They're not that you have to feel like you have all the answers. We want to connect you with God so that you can be forgiven and understand that forgiveness and be called towards repentance. And then we won't want you to walk that alone because that's a scary road. We want you to get to know some people around here so that you can share things in common and, and you, can, you can have a, a support system around you. That's really what that's about is that we can pray together and we can just get to know one another. That's what those are designed for. They're so non-threatening. I promise you, you will be shocked. I've had more people come to me in our girl groups and be like, so is this supposed to be like spiritual or something? And it's like, you know, it's like game night. But let me tell you, that is the start of where relationships happen. And I'll tell you right now, Levi and I, I think the first time we hung out outside of church, we actually played poker together. We did not gamble money. just want to make that known. But we played poker together. And after that, we started to talk about our families and like what was going on in our life and we've built a friendship. But without poker, I wouldn't care who Levi is. No, I'm just kidding. But I mean, that just really got us to connect. And I know that there's other people that connected there as well. And so what I'm asking you to commit this for is to commit to each other. How do we neighbor one another? I do sermons all the time. Almost 50, 50 times a, a year, it's going to be like, how do we love the world? How do, we, how do we get outside of ourselves? This is a world, and we need to learn how to love one another, how to grow closer together. You get me? We, we have college kids here that are away from family, and who knows if they're eating hot dogs or ramen. Like, let's take them out and get them a steak. You know, let's, we, we have people that are Packer fans here, and they really need help. They need help. Let's wrap around them and just listen to them and then convert them. 
We have people that are just struggling in jobs right now and they just need to be heard. People that are struggling in marriages and they just need to be heard. They just need a friend. People that have loss right now just need somebody to talk to. That's it. It's as simple as that. So these are the three reasons I want you to commit to this. And I want you to really consider before you walk out that door today to sign up so you can hear more about a group. Is I want you to do it for your own growth. Because part of serving is engaging. And you are serving your church by connecting in community and getting to know them. Because that's where relationships are built. That's where we start to become a body that is powerful. We are, we are so much better together. That's a part of service. So for your growth, I want you to commit. For your local church's growth. Because when we live this life, it says that people were being brought to their number daily. Daily. I want to see a local church like that. And I think you guys do too as well. And then the third reason is that this is a great way to help your church be healthy and help your local church attract people to Christ. And that is what it's all about. There is no other reason that we open up those doors. We want to connect people with God and connect people with the church family. Because we go to God for forgiveness, we confess to him for forgiveness, we confess to each other for healing. We need healing. Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for your truth. Thank you that you, um, man, we can read uh, the same verses sometimes over and over again and just new truths come out. I thank you for the conviction that you've given here today. Um, I don't pray that people feel shame, but I do pray that they feel uncomfortable. Uncomfortable enough to say yes to you and no to what, they've, uh, what their, their sin is in their life and walk in a new light with you. That what's been chaining them down, they'll be free from. Lord, in the months to come, just pray that you continue to move this church forward, that you continue to show us the importance of connecting with one another, relying on one another, repenting to you. Change our world, Lord. We love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. So yeah, take some time uh, as you're walking out the door. Feel free to stand in line. I'm sure there's a little bit more coffee. Um, yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Bring somebody to church, 10 o'clock. Thanks again for listening to the Engaged Church Duluth podcast. If you enjoy learning with us and want to be notified when a new episode drops, subscribe to this podcast in iTunes and help us get the word out by rating us there. And then share us on social media with all of your friends. And don't forget, you can find more resources on our website and even watch the video version of this message. We can't wait to connect with you again next week.